supersonic flight has its fair share of challenges. But with new innovations in the works, will we see more commercial supersonic planes? This is Supersonic the Hedge Fund Plane. So MVP, what's the topic for today? The topic for today is will we ever fly supersonically over land? Ooh. And how do we want to do that? Well, NASA says we want to do it by turning sonic booms into sonic thumps. Sonic thumps. I- I'm curious. I'm curious how that works. Me, me too. I guess what kind of baffling measures you have to do, but but with those baffling measures, do you lose some sort of performance where you wouldn't be able to travel supersonically, or do you have to, or or do you drastically increase your uh, or or lessen your airtime because the aircraft's now been made heavier, so you lose range because of fuel fuel uh, on board fuel consumption rates all that kind of stuff i'd be i'd be interested to know that oh definitely interested i mean when you brought up already with the structures i mean for most people that don't understand uh planes when they travel at the speed of sound or faster all that stress and heat that that builds when that thing when that thing is flying it's gonna do a number on the structure so for an aircraft to withstand that it needs to either have some special materials made out of it which costs a lot or it needs to have material that's heavier which also costs a lot and if you go heavier you're now you're burning more fuel to keep it in the air for one so your range is going to be shorter like mbp said your fuel cost is going to go up obviously and just all kinds of craziness for that well there's there's all sorts of stuff even like like logistically right so Looking here at this picture of the NASA X-59, which is what they're using to um, test low boom mm-hmm. uh, technology. And then uh, and they're kind of flying it over communities and kind of doing studies with certain communities around the country. Probably more deserty regions, I would uh, like ours, I would uh, expect. Right. But look at the nose. Like, look how long that aircraft is, long and narrow. And, and so the nose on that, just and just for the simple fact that it has to be designed that way to maintain that speed and shed heat or minimize uh, resistance as much as possible. But all right, let's put this into a passenger supersonic jet. How how far do those gates now have to be extended from the terminal to be able to reach? Because the nose is now a, a, a two and a quarter mile long. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Or um. They're they're probably gonna just as soon as they hit the runway, they're just gonna have like this um, emergency rollaway staircase just to have like people get on and off, because they because it like you said it won't fit in the gate, or they're gonna have to like tow it in backwards so the no point nose points out, which means more time. <laughs> well, they kind of they kind of still do that at uh, at Burbank Airport a little bit, right? You know, it's still a pretty small airport, so you, they just pull up the jet and then they have this kind of a ramp system. That goes up to the door and you just kind of, that's how you, you go outside onto the flight line and then up the ramp and into the jet. Same thing when you deboard or deplane, um, you know, so that might be, that might be the way to go. No more, uh, no more going through the jetways. That's true. Uh, I think I've been not Burbank, but I know I did that on a certain airport. It might've been LAX. I'm, I can't quite remember. So with supersonic flight, like it sounds great, right? Everybody who who doesn't want to go from California to New York in less than two and a half hours. 
sounds fantastic. I totally would love a flight like that. So with when a plane goes supersonic, like picture like uh like the air is water, for instance. When uh, when something moves through it, it creates waves, and the sound travels in those waves, and then uh, and then it expands in all directions. When a plane goes supersonic, though, it's catching up to the waves it's making in front of it. Can you can you if everyone can kind of picture that? And so mm-hmm. when and so when it catches up to the waves, it compresses them into one instead of like five six however many waves it it. it compresses it to one solid wave and then when it hits the ground that's the resulting boom you'll hear or the sonic boom what everyone seems to know uh example of these is like thunder booms uh the crack of a whip uh the the gunshot or the shot from a bullet similar concept like it's traveling faster than, than the sound waves themselves and so and then so like it it compacts it all together and then instead of just small tiny waves hitting the ground at whatever time now it's just one solid one right and so to put a speed to this right uh it's around 770 miles per hour at sea level or 660 at cruising altitude so that's just to put a speed to what six is saying here um those are the kind of uh, um miles per hour or knots you'll be well it says miles per hour right yeah yep, miles per hour you have to be reaching to uh to achieve what what six has been explaining here the last couple minutes yeah and then contrary to belief what everyone thinks when a plane hits or cracks the sound barrier it doesn't sonic boom once it sonic booms the entire time it's in supersonic flight so it's not just boom it's a boom 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 just like exploding the entire time it's flying and yep. And uh, I remember you were talk- we were talking offline in the episode. You mentioned something about like how much or how wide a boom is, depending on how high it is. Yeah, so it's uh, a sonic boom is about 40 miles wide for every thousand foot of altitude the aircraft is, is up. Or, so imagine if you're at 40,000 feet ripping across, ripping across uh, the Great Plains. So you, you've got X amount of uh, miles wide at your... So imagine you know, that you're getting sonic boom. So imagine... Imagine if we got 50 supersonic jets back and forth across the country all day. I mean, that's just a continual. (laughs) It's going to sound like a war zone all all day long, man. Right. Uh, You said uh, you said it's one mile for every thousand feet. No, 40 miles for every thousand. 40 miles. Wow. So like imagine, right? The average commercial airline flies about 20, 30,000 feet. So that's about 120 miles this sonic boom is being heard as it's passing by. That's a city. That's a city and a half right there for most places. You know what I mean? <laughs> actually, yeah. Actually, no, that's like almost three cities. Like you, you would, if you, if you took off at Orange County, you would hear the boom all the way up in San Bernardino County and maybe then some. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So imagine them taking off out of LAX and then San Francisco uh, all day long. I mean, just boom, 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 boom. Oh my god! Right. Everyone in the Midwest would just move out because, like, that's all. That's the only, or that's like peak of where they would be hearing the booms, or when they'd be traveling that fast. I mean, you probably won't see them do it out of the airport right out the gate, but I'd imagine at a certain distance from the airport, they will freaking just light off the ignition and freaking take off. You know. Yeah, I kind of wonder how long it would take for them, right? So, 
So let's say you're taking off out of LAX and you're going to New York. You're taking off. You head out over the water. How far out over the water are they going before they turn? To, to then how long does it take for them to get up to supersonic speeds? Probably not very long, but but right. Is there going to be regulations over the city of Los Angeles? Like, okay, you can you can only cruise. You can only hit this amount of speed until you hit uh, San Bernardino County line, and then from there you can you can go full clip until you get to let's say uh you know philadelphia and then you got to back off because now you're getting over highly densely populated areas again and people are going to be complaining about booms and whatever else so to it right you say okay well i can i can decrease the flight time from la to new york from six hours to two and a half but is it in reality four hours because of of these areas that you have to uh, slows down so you don't create the sonic booms or does it take longer because you can maintain that speed but you have to now fly around certain cities across the midwest or across the countries right so it's not constant sonic booms all day and then to it okay well if i have to fly around these areas now it's not beelining it so now i'm burning more fuel now does my non-stop flight uh get one stop in it so now my two and a half hour flight is now you know, four to four and a half hours or, or five. And it's like, well, what am I really saving? Yeah. I'm saving an hour maybe, you know, but I spent a thousand dollars on a ticket versus 200. I don't know. There's a lot that goes into it. Oh yeah. Most dev. And we, we were kind of going to like, so uh, what effects do Sonic booms have on the ground? Right. Well, besides the sheer annoyance of hearing boom, 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 boom the entire time. Right. The, the sonic waves, I mean, they, I mean, picture like a thunder crash, like, uh, or a thun, thunder strike. They, they rattle shit. They kind of weaken structures if they happen repeatedly. Uh, they can blow out glass. They can crack plaster, stuff like that. So imagine like what would occur naturally, like once every so often. Now you're hearing this man-made version of a, of a thunderstorm just pass by day in, day out after how many flights. So I'd imagine building structures would eventually weaken and crumble after so many repeated sonic booms is passing by them uh matter matter of fact uh, there was a an experiment the air force and the faa did it was called a uh, operation hey, hey Bomb- real quick real quick i'm gonna i'm gonna cut you off i i i'm reading back over this article and i had my data wrong mm-hmm. uh what you said six was right it was a mile wide for every thousand feet so my fault uh if you're at forty thousand feet you'd have 40 miles of uh sonic boom coverage so I apologize to everybody. I had my data wrong, but uh, I just wanted to correct it. I mean, that's Anyways, still... back to the NASA NASA study. <laughs> I mean, that was that's still a lot, 40 miles. So, yeah, so going back to this study. So they did a study, or they called it Operation Bongo, where they took a bunch of airplanes and then they flew it over, I want to say it was St. Louis, just to see how many sonic booms it would take to, or how, how would sonic booms affect the population there. And the first one they did like about 150 booms and everyone just like, yeah, whatever. I mean, I heard it crack, but it wasn't bad. And so they did another one. Uh, it was operation bongo two, where instead of 150, they did a thousand sonic booms. <laughs> and, Jeez. Oh yeah, my God. A thousand. And so that's not, it's not even like a, a, a gradual ramp up, right? That's like, Oh, 150. Well, nobody cried wolf here. So, uh, <laughs> let's go for a thousand see what happens. Let's see if we can make people's ears bleed, you know, like, <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> Full send, right? So the result from that is they found out that 
uh, the booms, like it, it interrupted people's, uh, what it what's their sleep cycle. Like they weren't able to fall asleep on the right time. There's an actual word for the sleep cycle. I can't remember what it was called. Um, but it affected that, uh, it affected conversations. It, uh, it did some damage to building structures, like with the windows and plaster, like I mentioned. And yep. then, and then, uh, certain, uh, farmers and whatnot, they were, they were, uh, claiming property damage because the the constant booms it would either drive their livestock insane or some of them supposedly died from all the intense sonic boom happening back and forth back and forth <laughs> when i think about right also uh yeah it could send the animal into cardiac arrest but what about a pacemaker right does it disrupt a pacemaker Ooh, at a, all oh that's a good one i'm, I'm curious because you know like, like again with like the repeated boom 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 it's gotta upset the rhythm of a pacemaker too because I mean, pacemakers couldn't be near microwaves and stuff. So imagine like just that sheer shock wave of that 40 mile um, boom uh, radius. You know what I mean? So you're telling me when I'm older and I have a pacemaker, I won't be able to make pizza rolls? <laughs> well, I don't want to live. I don't want to live on this planet then. <laughs> I, I would assume. I, I don't know like how, how intense the microwaves need to be. I just remember seeing a sign in multiple workplaces that says, caution microwave uh, and, and some little blurb in there says if you have a pacemaker just ex- exercise caution hey. huh. interesting weird but yeah like uh, 150 to 1000 let's just like full send this and go times 10 <laughs> <laughs> not enough people complained and we didn't get enough negative results so let's uh let's step this up all right what well, do you want to go like 200 250 maybe even 500 a thousand one thousand let's let's you said go a thousand Let's yes, go full ham thousand, on this I one. I want a thousand sonic booms. Right. And then so result okay. and so the result of those, right, from Operation Bongo 2 is another yet another reason why they banned supersonic flight on land. Like they could only do it like uh at sea, like when there's nothing else in between them. And that's kind of like the re- where we are now with why we're not allowed to do supersonic flight on land. There's other reasons like like the Concorde crashing for one. And, and again, with like the whole livestock and migration, whatnot, but that was another reason like, okay, we're not going to do this no more. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. So, you know, I think also about the SR 71, right? Right. That thing flew at Mach, what, two, three, somewhere in there. I think maybe it, even faster, uh, yeah, for yeah, some I of think, the archives. Yeah. I think, uh, it like it's fast as ever was like close to Mach 4 almost. I'm not sure if it hit Mach 4, but I know it hit close to it. So, so that's interesting. I, you know, for sake of reinventing the wheel, now I'm sure maybe a lot of the uh, design and internals that went, you know, with the baffling of the engines and whatever else, that might still be classified data, but I'm, you know, for sake of reinventing the wheel, uh, what, what were they using, right? Yeah. Or is that thing traveling so fast and it just hit so many booms that everybody's like, what the hell was that? Just kind of looking around. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Oh, thunder? I wasn't expecting storms today. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, you know, like Lockheed, they're developing the uh, SR-72, hmm. I believe. Oh, yeah. I saw they, they pu- pu- uh, published an article on that. And I know... And kind of in confirmation, Pratt and Whitney had also published an article. They had re... re uh, submitted the patent for those motors that were in the SR-71. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They had resubmitted the patent to begin test and development on those again. So I'm sure they're 
they're coming up with something, right? Because they're the claim is the claim is that that with new uh, materials and technology, Pratt claims that they can push that aircraft with those same engines, just kind of going through an overhaul and a revamp of modern uh, tech and material. Uh, Mach six. Choo. Yeah. So, so how are they then, right? How are they then uh, combating this? If they're even concerned about it, right? It might not even be a concern to them. They they might not care because a Mach six, who's who's really catching you, and who or who's going to notice it? You're going to hear boom, boom, boom. The hell? What's that? Huh? What was that? I don't know. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, <laughs> right? <did> somebody fart. <laughs> right. You know. Or, or it can be one of those where, like, they only fly it at night during, during a thunderstorm, so like they can't tell the difference. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'd, I'd be curious to curious to know how they're going to combat it, but um, or what their what their design is. But yeah, for sake of reinventing the wheel, I you know, but but we know that's all proprietary, and um, I guess unless you know Pratt would get like the sole contract for the next wave of supersonic. Uh, aircraft you know we might not see too much of it right away right now imagine that dude mach 6 let's do a little math here man like so the speed of sound right is 760 some miles an hour at mach 6 you're going six times that it's like 4600 miles an hour holy shit (laughs) (laughs) you barely get the engines spooled up and you got to shut them off just so you can out of lax so you can coast into Coast into New York City in 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like by the time you get to full speed, you got to start slowing down. <laughs> I mean, that's well, that's what the SR-71 has to do now. That's true. So, so imagine, imagine Mach 6. They probably only fire one engine for that. Right. Uh, <laughs> Where are we flying today? Oh, we're, oh, we're only going to New York. Yeah, we're only going to need 50% on one engine for that. So that's fine. <laughs> right. Uh, I remember when the F-22 uh, came about where they said that was the first plane to air quote super cruise, right? Where it's going supersonic and it's not even using its full potential yet. It's like not even in afterburners. Ima- imagine, man, how fast that is. Like you're cracking the sound barrier and the engine's not even trying yet. <laughs> yeah, it's going, it's going, well, this is a nice walk in the park. <laughs> right? Like, ah, uh, that's just out of control, man. Like imagine super cruise. And again, right, like faster than the speed of sound, like you're going at least 770 miles an hour or faster. That's just out of, that's just wild. And then what your, well, your turn radius probably sucks ass though, like the SR-71, like it probably took like a whole state for that thing to make a U-turn. <laughs> well, so that's funny you bring that up. So I, one of the places I used to work, one of our pilots there was a retired SR-71 guy. Mm-hmm. And he said he, they were... Uh, just before afterburner and he said they missed their turn by three seconds and they ended up over like they were heading south right heading from like washington down the down the west coast heading south yeah and they missed their turn by three seconds because they were going to turn over like san diego and then rip out across the southern half of the united states but they met and they ended up over mexico city like they were going so fast that they missed the turn by three seconds and that's how far south they had to go and i guess by the time you know they hit there, they they hit full after and 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 flew right across the Gulf back up to uh back up over Florida. And I guess they were already over in New York again. And and the Mexican government was like, "Hey, uh, you guys have a plane you're flying over us?" And we're like, oh, "I don't know what you're talking what, about. What plane? <laughs> what plane? What are you talking about? Fix your radar systems. You, <laughs> you, 
L-L-U. <laughs> Imagine that, man. Like, like uh, you miss a turn by three seconds and you have to divert like a solid country. Thousands of miles. Into your, your original <laughs> lane. Like, I missed a turn. I just have yeah. to go down like five miles. These guys are, have to go like five holes, like five whole states. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so, so um, what are we doing to fix it, right? What's the new, the latest in hip hop that's going in on with Supersonic Flight? Uh, there's this company, I think it's in Denver. They're called Boom Supersonic. And they're they're designing a plane right now. It's called the Overture, I want to say the name is, where it's, it's air quotes, supposed to be producing a quieter boom, as they say, right? Like the thumps we were mentioning at the very beginning of the episode. And yeah, I think it's still, I think it's still just an overseas, uh, jet though. Right. It's not, it's not one that they're flying over land or is that they fly that one over? Land no, I too? think that one, they're still experimenting overseas, but and a lot of it, I think is computer simulations as well, because let's be real. Like when they first designed the first batch of supersonic commercial planes, technology was like well before the, the Game Boy series. So, I mean, they could only do so much. But nowadays, like we got computers that can pretty much fly themselves. So we're able to at least simulate most of these before we actually try it out in person. Um, how efficient that is, is one thing. But to actually build a model, and give it the gas that it needs to do these tests, it'd probably be a little bit more cost effective. Uh, Boom Supersonic also claims that this super, this new sonic thumper of an of a aircraft has more efficient green biofuel, as they say. So like the fuel consumption would be a lot less. It'd be less impact to the environment. It'd be more uh, bang for your buck, that I guess they would call it. Uh, there's a lot of skepticism about that. I'm not 100% versed about biofuel for one and then for a supersonic jet to go bu- to use biofuel. But... J- well, j- how much of it's really bio though, right? Like True. what's the... What's the what makes what makes it biofuel? Yeah, I, that's what I would want to know. What what what's the concoction there? Right, just just like they say, like all oh, these uh, um, these oils that we use, they're synthetic. They're made from uh, like plant based shit. Like I mean, it still burns like hell though. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it still sucks to get it on your skin. But okay, whatever you say, coach. And uh, again, going back to what we were saying earlier about uh, fuel consumption for supersonic jets i mean fuck like the concord burned like actually almost all uh supersonic uh, commercial jets burn five to seven times more than a commercial airliner so what you would normally pay like i don't know like or use up like five thousand pounds worth of fuel and now you're using 10 to fifteen thousand pounds worth of fuel just for the same amount same distance <laughs> well right so so does these so can we make it that far you know, let's take let's take uh, uh, the Concorde for example. Do we can we make it that far, or can we? What what kind of design limitations? Like, how many people could fly on the Concorde? I don't even remember, but I don't. Remember. I know it's not going to be like a seven forty seven type numbers. You know, oh, at least not yet. No, nowhere near. Because even even if you could get it to up to numbers, that plane is going to be so freaking huge just to make it aerodynamic enough to be supersonic or sustain. Well, Yeah. So, so back in the, uh, back in the early, early to mid two thousands, right. Um, 
I'm reading here that NASA worked with uh, Gulfstream and McDonnell Douglas. They fit in an F-15 with a quiet spike, which protruded 24 feet from the nose. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so, and that's on the size of an F-15 that they did that. So, imagine now the size of a Concorde. What, or, or, well, I mean, we've all seen a Concorde, but imagine whatever new designs are coming up with. Right. If you have to do a 24-foot spike, now, does that 24-foot spike model type? whatever not you know that's just what the math and the sciences uh worked out to be that 24 feet off the nose of any aircraft is is good enough to reduce those those sonic boom noises or is it for every you know okay this aircraft's you know 35 foot long so it needs 24 foot spike uh but a 747 being the size it is needs a uh an 87 foot spike off the nose like what right yeah i don't know right it doesn't explain that but i'd be curious to know if there's any uh anybody listening who's like a aerospace engineer or or really good at this uh knowledgeable on this stuff hit us up because i'd be curious to know yeah please like all, all these flight science critical stuff i'm re- we're really curious to know because it would be nice to have a commercial supersonic flight but you know i mean as of right now the practicality of it is very slim very slim Especially when you come down to that that cost, you know, for both fuel, for maintenance, and then for the commercial passenger, right? Because you know this stuff is only going to be available to like someone who's like got that kind of money to drop for a supersonic flight or a. Well, it's probably going to be so. I don't. I know Virgin is developing a fleet of supersonic uh, passenger jets. I don't really know how far along they are with that, or. If- how many they have or if it's still in the design phase, you know, but, but, you know, let's just say, I mean, hell plane tickets right now can run you from, well, it's just, you know, if you're flying spirit, you know, let's go 60 bucks all the way to, uh, a thousand first class on like United or something like that. Right. So mm-hmm. if you're telling me we can only fit, let's say we can only fit 30 people inside of this supersonic, uh, the supersonic jet are them tickets going to be like two to three thousand a piece you know oh easy. in which case in which case for a family of five like uh you're telling me i'm going to be paying fifteen thousand dollars just to fly back east and visit family like uh, uh, yeah, i don't right. know about that right i mean like how how important is your trip <laughs> to get there that fast yeah yeah oh grandma's passing yeah yeah she is but I can't I can't justify going into blinding debt to uh <laughs> get, I mean it sounds real insensitive, but you get what I'm saying. Like Yeah. Going into blind and then you know like the, the accommodations in the plane itself, it's not gonna be luxury level. Let's just say that. It's gonna have the bare minimum because it needs the max the maximum amount of power to weight just to get it off the ground for one, and then to minimize the actual cost of both the fuel and the maintenance to get it going. So you'll get there real quick, but it'll probably not be a comfortable flight the whole way through. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Well, the good news, I guess if you're not going to be that comfortable, at least it'll be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's uh, probably how they'll sell it too. Yeah. You won't get peanuts and a, and a Coke while you're flying. Just sit down and shut up. You're going to get there quick. You know, like, I don't know. Right. Or is it probably be some top gun cliche shit, right? Like, a. Do you feel the need for speed? We do too. And you get there in three hours or less. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to, you know what I mean? It's going to sound like some pizza delivery shit, like three hours or less <laughs> or, or the flight's free. 
<laughs> Treat it like Domino's delivery. <laughs> you get to New York, New York from LA in two hours and 30 minutes or, or, or the first uh, 45 miles are free type thing. I don't know. <laughs> Some shit, right? <laughs> so going a little bit about the, the aircraft structure itself, we mentioned, you know, it's got to have some new vet, like new shit material or it's got to be heavier. The Concorde itself, like when it does its flight, it actually stretches like a good six to 10 inches from end to end. I- imagine that shit, man. Like, uh, and then when it lands, like the air crew, they're just looking at it or the maintenance crew just looking at it like, God damn it. Well, here we go again. Yeah, I'd imagine like the NDI inspections or the structure inspections would just be through the fucking roof. You know what I mean? Well, right. Yeah. If you have so many phase inspections for every amount of flight hours for now, I imagine it'll be double or triple of that for, for a supersonic just because like you said, the skin, the aircraft itself is stretching six inches each time it does this. Mm-hmm. How, well, what materials are they using, but how often, how often can you stretch it before it becomes work hardened and weakened and becomes a critical uh, point of failure. Right. Yeah. Or like uh, some early uh, supersonic jets, like the early models of the SR-71, like they would, they would have gaps in between the skin on purpose. So, and the reason for the gaps is when it went supersonic, the skin would heat up and it'll, it'll expand and close those gaps. But the whole time prior to getting to the supersonic level, all those gaps would cause fuel leaks and it would just be pissing fuel everywhere right up until the point where they hit supersonic. So can you imagine like uh, commercial planes well, like that? The fuel system would just have a bunch of crazy ass expansion joints, but also what about tire, right? Rubber material and, and the gear and what kind of stress is that putting on there? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Oh yeah. And, and you know these things like since they're meant for a speed, they're not going to be good when they're slow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they probably will barely fucking stay afloat. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like it, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this like in the sense of cams, right? Like, uh, bigger cams means more power means faster speed, but they fucking suck when they're just driving down the road like at the speed limit. So yeah, you're, you're just like burning fuel and you're rattling all over the place and like. Well, this ain't a fun ride. So you have to at least get to 60 miles an hour just to even feel comfortable in the car. You know? Yep. Yeah. It's one of those when they say it idles, it idles at 80 type thing. That's yeah. kind of what these jets will be. Right. So like these ones, like they need to get up and away like super fast just so they don't waste fuel and yeah. and induce more ground related stress before it even gets into the air. <laughs> Pilots will be complaining. This thing handles like garbage until you hit. Until you hit uh, 600 miles per hour or something like that, or 500 miles per hour at least. Right, yeah. And so with all the new innovations that are going on, like like with um, Boom, Supersonic, and NASA, and Lockheed, and all them. So they're proposing to to do another uh, experiment like Operation Bongo, but Operation Bongo 3. And who knows how many booms they're going to try with these new sonic thumpers, as they call them. So... Yeah, Operation Two was one thousand. So, like, let's try five thousand. Fuck it. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I hope they don't do that over my neighborhood. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, so, like, they say, oh, this will be quieter, right? But quiet is still really loud in in retrospect. So instead of boom, 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 you're just like, you just hear like, well, uh, I hear, I hear sonic booms at least three or four times a day where I work. 
and they rattle the whole the whole hangar right every time it happens just boom 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 and the whole whole building shaking dust is falling from the ceiling but i don't know man i mean imagine that just being constant for 12 hours a day oh like I, I i don't know right yeah and so here's another one for like the aerodynamics and flight science people like so we know what happens when one plane goes sonic supersonic and then cracks by a neighborhood and whatnot. What happens when there's two of them and they're going opposite directions? You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's a good point. What if what if they're what if six and myself are flying supersonic jets? And uh, stop laughing. I can hear you all laughing. Uh, but let's just say six and I are flying supersonic jets. Um, and we're passing each other, and we're you know we're both at uh, you know he's at. 35,000 feet and I'm at 30,000 feet and we're within three miles of one another and we pass each other going supersonic. What, what kind of uh, stress and, and issues are we going to run into or, or even flight handling characteristics? Like what, what are we going to run into by him and I passing each other uh, that close? You know, I'd be, I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Or, or even or another one I would say is imagine like a supersonic jet flying, right? just doing its thing and then there's a at say 60,000 feet for instance let's let's just say that or let's say 45,000 it's doing its supersonic flight and there's a commercial airliner like a 747 for instance at 30,000 feet just below it traveling behind it right like well what's it we already see planes when they get caught in each other's jet wash or prop wash and it causes all kinds of un- crazy turbulence so what's the turbulence going to be like when you're caught in the jet wash of a supersonic flame cracking past the sound barrier? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or how about we got a supersonic jet taken off out of LAX? How long does the next jet landing behind it have to wait until that turbulence is minim- minimized enough for it to come in safely and land? Right. Yeah. Oh, do you can imagine being the ATC for that kind of shit? Yeah. I was say, what kind of airspace clearance do you have to do for that? Imagine, imagine talking to about 15 supersonic jets coming in all the time. All right. Uh, November 791, you, you're clear. Shit. He's already gone. You're oh, fuck. They already landed. Uh, uh, just be yeah. trying to, you'd be behind the curve all day. I yeah. feel like, I mean, I, I, I'd imagine an ATC's job is like super stressful as it is with regular planes going in and out. Probably like top speed. I don't know. It was like what? 600, like 500 something, 600 something miles an hour. Now you're dealing with ones that crack the sound barrier on a whim. <laughs> you know? Right. Just because they can. Yeah. So you got to give them like, like a whole city and a half's worth of cushion. Like they got to radio in their, their landing time well in advance because like, say like with the SR 71, they missed their turn for three seconds and now they're in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. It's like, imagine that though. Like imagine the plane where there's a thunderhead, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like, do they fly over, around, under, you know, or do they just, they're going so fast, they just make it through without. But then, like, let's say you got lightning crash around you. I don't know if you've ever flown in an aircraft when there's a sort of a thunderstorm going, going on in and around mm-hmm. your area flying. And, you know, lightning bolts, as we said, you know, create that same sort of a, of a pressure uh, buildup, which is what creates the thundersonic booms, right? Yep. So... How does that work too? If I'm flying supersonic and also lightning crashes around me mm-hmm. and thunders roll, do do I run into adverse effects more so than a normal plane would? Ooh. I don't know. 
That's a good one. Yeah. Weather would definitely play a big factor with uh, supersonic. And then what, what's just going to be like, you can only fly supersonic on a clear ass day. No wind, no nothing. You're like, well, fuck. There goes like 90% of our revenue. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, I could just imagine like, so like, I'd imagine like going supersonic, you have to be in a straight line and everything has to be semi-perfect. I imagine if you fly through stuff that has like wind shear or so abrupt wind changes and shit like that, that just like what would be like regular turbulence to a to a commercial airliner. I wonder what that would do to like a plane going supersonic, like just how much would it blow it off course, you know? Yeah, I'd be. It's a it's a good question. We really need some uh, flight science people to, ch- to chime in from this episode. So we had talked about the sounds, right? Going from uh, from a boom to a to a thud. Mm-hmm. Um, so so acousticians um, at NASA are using a perceived decibel level or PLDB. So the Concorde's boom was around 103 PLDBs, perceived decibels levels. Uh, roughly the loudness of nearby thunder or a car door slamming while you're inside the car. Uh, 75 decibels, uh, which is NASA's goal for their uh, their new uh, supersonic transport jet they're testing, which mm-hmm. I mentioned in the earlier in the episode. They say it's currently about an eighth as loud as what the Concorde was. That's the equivalent of distant thunder or a car door slamming 20 feet away. Like uh, decibels or earthquakes, uh, perceived decibel levels are measured measured on a logarithmic scale. Just for those of you who like to nerd out with that kind of stuff. Oh, I mean, and that's a significant drop if you ask me. I mean, um, if if it's that level that level of perceived loudness, I would say, I think more people would be down for it. To be honest, and now, are we willing to incur that kind of cost? That's a different story. But I mean. A gunshot versus, I mean, a rock concert versus a car door slamming 20 feet away from you. I mean, that's a significant difference. Yeah, that's uh, it's a massive difference. Yeah. But um, then, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying, but then again, we go back to our previous questions. Like what happens in the jet wash? What happens when two booms go opposite of each other and weather, the high maintenance cost, the high fuel cost, all that and other. That's a lot of variables that we have to test out or at least have substitute solutions for and yeah i would like to i would like to see the maintenance list right so the, as this article goes on it, it actually talks about lockheed's um uh, um they're currently building a plane which is kind of that one i was talking about earlier uh mm-hmm. which will fly over american cities in 2024 which isn't too far off um it says it, the it's like a it's another X fifty nine, but it resembles a mini Concorde. I guess is what yeah. they're saying. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a hundred feet long with a wingspan of thirty feet, an engine centered on the tail, and more surfaces than appear necessary. Huh. Horizontal stabilizers are at both the bottom and top of the tail, and also on the nose. It says all those are used to tune those shocks. From the uh, program director there at Lockheed. That's interesting. Yeah, it is real interesting. So it says they hope to uh, stretch the front of the boom wave from a single millisecond out to 20 or 30. Hmm. So it's uh, it's pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's time. So if you're wondering how we can all, how, how I'm reading all that stuff, right? So this is all from, this is all an unclassified program. 
at Lockheed as well. Just so you're all tracking like, oh, he's giving away secrets. <laughs> no, I'm not. This is all stuff found. This is all stuff like uh, open, like press released and openly disclosed and all that stuff. So we're we're not we're not divulging anything like intel dropping. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess the reality of it comes out to is as testing and stuff goes on, you know, we'll we'll see some pretty unique designs mm-hmm. to uh, control control these sonic booms a little bit. But I just curious to as like we've mentioned a few times, what what you lose in performance by making it quieter so to speak right yeah or or like you said like uh like how long does the structure need to be is it relative to the aircraft itself or is it just like a set number like it must be x long to um, yeah 24 feet is the prime is the perfect number to reduce uh nose pressure on the aircraft no matter what aircraft you know i don't know yeah and then can you imagine, man, like the the avionics and the computer structures that are going into this these aircraft, man, because they got to be like so top of the line. And oh, well, we, we say so top of the line, but you and I have worked on some pretty modern shit. And we're looking at it like this is Vietnam era guts. Like, <laughs> awesome. Good. I'm glad we had that in the back stock that we decided we're going to use now. Awesome. This is great. <laughs> right. By the way, is anybody, are they making replacement parts for these? No, they're not. Awesome. So when this fails, we're. We'll figure it out when that happens. Great. Thank you. All right. right. No, we'll turn into like the, like <laughs> we'll the B1. Cross that right? bridge when we get to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll turn into the B1 where like, I bet you that plane's going to be code red the second it leaves the deck. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I know. We saw, <laughs> we saw, we saw a B1. I saw a B1 take off one day. And one of the guys I worked with, he was an old B1 bomber guy. And I think, I bet that thing wasn't even a thousand foot off the deck. And he goes, he takes a long drag on a cigarette, looks at me and goes, I bet that thing's already code three. <laughs> and sure enough, it lap around the airfield and landed. <laughs> code three. That's, that's going to be a majority of the supersonic planes when they get there while they're still trying to iron out the kinks. It's like, yay, we went wheels up and it's back. <laughs> well, that's a, so that's that brings up a good point, too, right? Like it, with all these stresses and added stresses and everything going on to it, you know, operators and stuff are going to be trying to stretch those. And imply and employ those ten percent rules uh, all over the place. But yeah, how how often you okay? You get to the airport two hours ahead of time. You get on your plane and you take off, and you're you've been in the air thirty minutes. Up, oh, we're gonna have to RTB because uh, whatever issue. So again, your whole flight's late. So you start questioning. I paid a lot of money for what? Do should I've just gotten onto a a normal airliner that's been proven for fifty years? You know, right. I'm not sure. Not now, sure now, what the answer is. Now imagine like the the training it would take for an aircraft mechanic to work on these fucking things. These guys got to be like NDI techs at minimum, right? And they got to be like almost like flight scientists themselves because of the amount of stress and tolerances these things have to take. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, it, it, it's really challenging. There's a lot of challenges with this and I'm really curious to see where it's all going to lead and what our solution is going to be. And hopefully it's just not one of these hodgepodge like band-aid over the issue kind of shit where they just throw a, a plywood over the pothole and just call it good. <laughs> oh, so here, I, I kept reading through the article. We're talking about how many people and stuff these aircraft are going to carry and whatever else, you know, And but but probably not as much as a normal airliner, right? Right. So, uh, 
it goes through uh, to, to do. It's going to use like certain high definition cameras to allow the pilots and stuff to see the ground without like you doing what the Concorde did with that nose actually curved over to allow them to see down. So they're mm-hmm. going to, which that added a lot of weight and expense to it. Right. So they want to keep it just flat, but use new cameras and stuff like that. We've have out there too. So they can use, they'll be looking at the ground through, through cameras essentially. Hmm. Um, uh, but they said they were Lockheed's going to make a, uh, well, they said they wouldn't make a commercial version of the X 59. But it could partner with other firms, maybe, to uh, create a passenger version. Uh, but they predict that it would be, if they did that, it would be 230 feet long, about the length of a Boeing 777, and carry only 50 people. Holy shit. So think about it, the same size as a seven, a 777 and only carry 50 people. Jesus. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so inefficient. <laughs> and I bet you it costs just as much, too. <laughs> Oh, I bet you it's more, man. Those 50 people are going to be paying for paying out the nose. Literally. (laughs) Can you you imagine that, man? Like, so uh, a 230 feet long and it has cameras on the ends of the nose so they can see down. Imagine, I'd imagine that'd be super disorienting, right? Because you're here in the cockpit and then the camera is 40 feet away from you and below you. So like, oh, Jesus Christ. And and then- well, what about the pilots that are flying at nighttime now and all that stuff, right? And the, and and what do they call it, IFR or VFR? Yeah, no IFR. 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 Yeah, flying an IFR. I mean, they got to use the instruments and gauges to land, so it'd just be sort of a similar thing, I guess. Just you'd be IFR even in VFR conditions. True. <laughs> that's gotta I guess. be. That's gotta be weird. It has to be, man. I I think it would take a lot of time to like. You would have to, okay, I see the ground here, which means I have to do the quick math in my head because I'm sitting 15 feet off the ground. Uh, the gear is this far below me. And, you know. Yeah. So when I see this, but I'm sure they'll have sensors that say that'll, that'll be even more accurate. That'll give you uh, like laser altimeters and stuff that'll allow you to uh, get an accurate reading of where how far off the ground you are. That's true. Can you imagine, man, recruiting pilots for that thing? You're like, hey, everybody. Okay, we're having open recruitment now for a supersonic commercial airliner who wants in and i guarantee i can almost uh, venture to guess that almost 80 percent of them will probably be like astronauts and shit you know what i mean oh yeah i would think or they'd be uh people who've been test pilots over the over the course of the last decade or more right testing all this stuff out true very true can you imagine that man i i'd imagine like um uh, i guess clout chasing for all those people who fly supersonic uh, look at you, uh, commercial people. What's it like flying uh, uh, below the sound, the speed of sound? <laughs> well, I would imagine it's probably for some people, it's like uh, thrill-seeking, right? Like, oh, I've been flying 747s for 15 years, and yeah, it's a good gig, but I'm, I'm, I, want, I, want, I want that new-new. I want to try something exciting, right? True. And I get it. I can, I can see where it's one of those, like, hey, I, I want to have as many certs under my, under my belt as possible, but how about flight hours, right? Do these get logged differently? Uh, you know, I've got 1500 flight hours and, mm-hmm. but no, I've got 2000 flight hours, 1500 are, are, are normal and 500 are supersonic. I, I don't know. I don't know if that would be tracked differently or not. Ooh, that, that is a good one. I'm curious. I mean, yeah, I, I would definitely like to know about that. <laughs> wow. We covered quite a lot, man. And especially 
with the amount of new stuff that's coming on with uh, supersonic stuff. I would I like we were saying throughout the episode, I'm curious to see what there's their challenges are going to be and how they plan to solve it. And then overall, how, how they plan to beat cost. I think that's the one of the bigger challenges that they're going to run against is uh, what's what's the cost or the price tag going to be? And then what's it going to mean to us, the commercial the consumer uh, when we're actually using this thing? Yeah, exactly. Co- yeah. the co- Well, it's all going to come down to money, right? Cost mm-hmm. to build the damn thing to maintain it. And then how do I recoup some of that back in, in ticket sales, which let's face it. I mean, even airlines now, the cost of everything, they're not really recouping much back in ticket sales. I wouldn't imagine. That's why a lot of them are getting government subsidiaries, you know, but I'd, I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Very curious. Hey, if any of you get any of you listeners out there, there, you guys are flight scientists or aerodynamics or, uh, or hell even working on one of these things. Yeah. And please, you can talk about it. Yeah. Please let us know. Tell us like, what are some of the stuff that we are hitting and just not just kind of fall short on some of the stuff that, that common people don't know and more weight and just some of the ins and outs of how these things work. And with that, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks everyone. Bye. <laughs> Bye. We'd like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to continue to make episodes, maintain our gear and create merch for all of our listeners with special thanks to Erica Lamont. Chris Hawkins, Ryan Freshour, Dan Schubert, Jenny Dignan, and the ladies of the Dick Talk and Mimosas podcast. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. Visit our shop at cancelformaintenance.com and grab some swag to show off both your support for us and your prowess as an aircraft technician. If you have ideas for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, visit our contact us section and send us a line. We will do what we can to get your ideas or yourself on the show. You can also follow us on social media, such as on Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at Kanks, that's C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or on Twitter at CXMX Podcast. Check out some of our affiliates like Rockwell Time, where they make both rugged and classy watches to fit your lifestyle. Use the code CX4MX and save 10% off your purchase. Support us on Patreon. Our patrons get exclusive perks such as access to our Discord, discounts and early access to merch, special patron-only episodes, and so much more. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.